say who the true Christians are. You guys came out in the tornado. <laughs> Don't tell the other guys. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> oh yeah, they're all watching online. Sorry. Um, say welcome to Mr. Chris Clark. He's going to be singing with us hopefully for a long time. Uh, once you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning.
holds the earth in his hand. Mountain peaks belong to him. The sea and all of the land. Bow down in worship to him. For oh, the Lord is king. For oh, the Lord is king. So come, let us bow. everybody. Welcome to Carpenter's Way in the middle of a big storm, huh? Uh, we are, uh, you know, we don't, we don't talk about this much. It is not rare to have storms on Sundays. What is rare is to have it exactly during worship hour. So, uh, you know, we, um, I, I know we don't talk about this much. We're not under a tornado watch, but I, I realized this morning that we kind of haven't shared with you what we do in cases like that, and you need to be aware of that. The biggest threat we have in this room is the power outage, and uh, it's kind of weird at this building. I'm going to give you more information than you want, but you need to be aware of this because this is your home. Uh, we actually have three power lines that come into this building, and usually one or two go out, but one stays up, so it's kind of weird. We can have half this building out and half the building on or a third of it or whatever, but in the, we are on the same power line as the hospital. So they get us up pretty quick, and a lot of times it's just a, it's just a quick outage and, a, and quick back on. So if we were ever in a service and the power went out, we would just keep going for five or six minutes. And if it, uh, it, 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 this room will light up like, with, like candles all over the place. We've got electrical lights and all, and same with the children's department. Uh, they have flashlights in all the rooms and stuff like that, and our teachers know what to do. But uh, we, would, we, we would just keep going, and, and if after five or ten minutes the power is still out, uh, and we feel like it's time to go get our kids and go home, we'll do that. We'll just make sure the offering's been taken first. So, uh, 
But that, that's the plan for that. Uh, and if there was ever a, a, a tornado warning, we have the, the police that watch it for us out in our entryway, and we have Alicia and her team uh, watch the apps, and we've got people in our booth. Uh, usually Jeff's back there. Chad will be up there today. we got Doug. They're watching the, the weather. And uh, if there's a warning, and we don't even have a watch this morning, but if there were a warning at that point, we would watch where that tornado is. And if it came in this direction, we would move our children into the hallways because uh, the thing is you want to be away from the out, an outside wall, and the, this building is great for that because we have a buffer, all the classrooms. So we'd move them into the inner hallway, and they would be fine. And we would just keep going because this is where we stay as adults. But uh, with all the warnings and watches we have around here, we, we wouldn't. Want to, we're not going to interrupt every service. And then if an incident took place that was real close, we'd have the kids come in here and meet you in here, and you could take them home. But uh, this is a real safe building, um, and uh, it's a little bit like Noah's Ark. It looks a lot like it. So uh, that's our plan. That, that's what we do. Our goal is to keep moving. And we got people watching on the Internet most of the week part of the church, and we're glad you're there. That was a joke. You missed it. How come it was funny when he said it? Gosh. All right. So that's that's – that's information. That's emergency information. Uh, so if, if you would take your worship guide, let me highlight a couple things that are upcoming you need to be aware of. Uh, now that we are in April, uh, we have a couple uh, events that you need to be aware of. We have a men's event and a women's event taking place the same week, and those inserts are in there. The men's is called Men's Hangout. This is an annual event we have at Steve Hicks uh, Lake House. We go out there and we spend uh, most of the afternoon and we eat well and we hang out and we shoot. We have some skeet that we shoot and, and it's just a really good time. And all of the information you need for that event is right here. Uh, if you're interested in coming, we need to know how much to plan on for the food. So, uh, guys, there's a men's ministry table out there. We'd appreciate it if you would sign up so that we could. Or actually, to the right, that first table, it's a, it's, it's a special table set up for just this in the entry as you enter on the, on, on the far side by the office. So sign up, sign up there. It is 10 bucks. You don't have to pay until you get there. And then if you can't afford that 10 bucks, I'll make sure that Daryl Douglas pays for it for you. So... Uh, if uh, Anyway, we, we don't want that money to keep you from coming, guys. So, like I said, thanks, Daryl, for being willing to pay for all of them. Um, he didn't volunteer. I just Okay, that was a word of, that was a word of knowledge for you. Give, Daryl. Okay, uh, finding your store, it got in your story. That is a women's luncheon. So would you, dinner, dinner better than lunch. <laughs> uh, the in, Julie, will you come up here and announce this, please? Because I'm going to mess this up. No, you just, no. just read it. See? Dinner. Okay. <laughs> it is Tuesday, April 25th at 6.30 p.m. <clears throat> and um, we are selling tickets now. So you see the table with the nice spring <laughs> um, decorations there. That was to draw your attention to let you know that we are now selling tickets. And um, we were really looking forward to a great time. We'll have a full dinner um, for you here. And some of our own ladies are going to be sharing. So if you are interested and come in. Please join us. But um, even in between the services and after Bible study as well, there'll be tickets available for purchase. All right. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. Um, I want to remind you that uh, we have our Easter services actually start next Sunday. We have Palm Sunday. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that next Sunday during our message. We're going to take a break from its personal, not business, for a couple weeks. Next week is Palm Sunday. Then the following is Easter. Lots of activities that week, Palm Sunday, and then we have Good Friday service, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, and then Sunday morning is an Easter celebration, and you'll want to come early for that because we will fill this room, and uh, just be a part of that. 
Uh, also next Sunday, the children have uh, Palm Sunday Easter activities. It's, it's really, really good stuff. We're teaching the story. We're teaching the truth. So make sure you're a part of all that. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions, you can certainly call the office, and uh, we will uh, answer any questions that you have. Thanks for being here. We're going to take an offering. If, you are not, uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad you're here. Uh, this offering is for those who attend here regularly. It's our commitment to the missions we participate in and the ministries going on here. Uh, we, just, we don't want you distracted by money. Just pass the plate as it comes by. We're glad you're here. And, and if you're watching by Internet, we're glad that you're able to do that. And uh, our prayers, you're blessed this morning having been with us. So let's pray and commit our service to the Lord. We do love you, Lord, and we're thankful that you loved us first, even while we were still sinners, uh, that you would send your son to die for us. And we thank you for the next couple of weeks that we get to celebrate that. Lord, we thank you for the rain and spring that brings flowers and uh, makes everything green and beautiful. And Lord, we pray you would protect us uh, and our, our family through this, uh, these storms. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the firm foundation when storms come. And uh, I pray for our children today that they wouldn't be distracted, but they would learn about you and that we would learn about you and that we just have a wonderful day together, Father. Uh, we pray that you would bless us, those in this room, those watching on Internet, and we would be encouraged having gathered around you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things that he planned for us long ago.
grace, this grace amazing. My heart, my heart is singing, worthy of all of my praise. Yes, you are worthy of all of my praise.
chorus one more time. so many questions about eternal life. I thought that was for all good people when they died. I try to be good, but sometimes I wonder if I'm really going to heaven. I, have so many questions. I want to do God's will, not mine. I don't think I can share my faith with my neighbor. I try to be good. They probably will have too many hard questions that I won't be able to answer. My son has really fallen away now that he's in high school. I really worry about him. His only reason for coming to church was because we went. I keep hoping he'll come back to God. It's really hard to believe that he gave up his life for me. Me? What was he thinking? Sometimes temptations are right in my face. Nothing good ever seems to happen to me. And it seems like my faith isn't strong enough to come against what the world has to offer. My sister is so starved for love that whoever shows her the least bit of attention gets all of her affection. This guy I work with believes in some offshoot of Christianity. Jesus loves me, this I know, but I don't feel so loved. I just wish it wasn't so hard to live for God. Sometimes I wonder. My faith isn't strong enough. I don't feel so loved. So many questions that I won't be able to answer. It's really hard to live for God. For God. So love the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. actually go meet and the kids are dismissed to their programming. I actually had the opportunity to uh, interact with uh, some people uh, outside of a church setting. I helped my brother do some leadership stuff in Dallas once a month. And as we talked yesterday, 
I shared with them, um, just, uh, I was just getting to know them a little bit, and one of, the, one of the young ladies was telling me that she is a person of faith, but she doesn't go to church because what's the point? And uh, I got to be honest with you, I don't think we do a really good job, even ourselves, understanding the point of our gathering, who we are. That this isn't just a religious gathering once a week, but this is really, really personal and necessary for us to be healthy. Uh, Matthew 22 records for us a conversation. Um, it's a really, really great question that a religious leader asked Jesus, and it'll take us into what I want to share with you from 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn there. But this religious leader asked Jesus in Matthew 22, 36, uh, Rabbi, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. That's an interesting word, equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. You might be see, sitting here thinking this morning, well, that's for the Jews. That's the Old Testament law. And you'd be right. But look at John 13, what Jesus says to the disciples at the Last Supper. Dear children, I will only be with you a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. Verse 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If you have been in our study uh, that, we, that I've entitled uh, over the last year, that I've entitled, It's Personal, Not Business, I'm sure by this point you would agree that, the, that this thing we have with God, this forgiveness thing, this salvation thing we talk about, actually isn't a religious thing or an organizational thing or a club thing. It's a, it's a personal relationship with a God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. And this, this began not at the cross, it began in Genesis chapter 3, after man turned his back on God. After we chose to sin, after we chose to do our own thing in Adam and Eve, God comes down to hang out with them, just like he had before they sinned. He came to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day, and, and they're hiding. And Jesus offers them forgiveness, he offers them covering atonement for their sin, he offers them a future, and he still wants to walk with them. And I think that's missing in some of our understanding. God wants to walk with you. It's personal. This new command that Jesus gave to his disciples from John 13, and, and the context is really important because he wouldn't be with them much longer. Jesus is about to be killed. He's going to live out here for about a month and a half more, and then he's going to ascend into heaven, and we would need each other. I uh, remember as, as we round third of college now, and Zach is going to be a senior this year, I'm thinking on what will be known as the ugly cry day of the women in our family. <laughs> we went to Moody Bible Institute to take Zach, to put him in his room, and they had meetings for us. And at the end of our couple-day gathering, uh, we had one big gathering with the students and parents and families where we had a time of prayer and encouragement and at the end of that, we were, we were instructed to leave and leave our kid there. They would take it from there. I remember the president actually saying, you've done a great job or your kids wouldn't be here. Now it's our turn to take them to the next level. And I remember as soon as that meeting closed, Julie and Anna fell apart, and I being the rock of, of stability, <laughs> uh, 
I remember as we're walking out, I think Julie said something like, are we the only ones crying? <laughs> but it was, it was intense. Then I remember getting in the car and looking in the rearview mirror as Zach is behind us and then taking the girls to get what's called the world's biggest, best chocolate sundae. And it, it seemed to heal us, and we've been fine ever since. But what a day. <laughs> what a day. We're driving off. And I remember thinking that night, uh, and the next morning we got up at 4 o'clock to head back to Texas and as we're driving out of the city at four in the morning, it's dark. That's when I fell apart and we're driving. And the things that were going through my mind that, during that drive was, man, I didn't tell him enough about this. I didn't warn him about what was coming. Gosh, I'm going to be all these hours away. And yeah, I can get on a plane, but it's going to take me half a day to get there. What if my diabetic son needs me? And all these things are going through my mind. And that's exactly what happens with Jesus with these disciples. Love each other. You've got to take care of each other because I'm physically, you're not going to be able to touch my skin anymore. If you go back and you look at the Gospels, the interesting thing is every time they asked him a question, he dodged it anyway. <laughs> but the truth is he could take care of them. The man, Jesus, who is also God, was, was with them and taking care of them. And he's looking at them and he's saying, come on, guys, you've got to love each other. This is a new command. Forget everything else for the moment. And I'm just telling you something new. I'm telling you, boys, take care of each other. Love each other. And that's the moment where that text takes place. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is a deeply personal part of Paul's letters to Pastor Timothy, who Paul sent into the fire in First Church of Ephesus. Paul sent him into a situation that he knew would hurt him. These letters are to encourage this young pastor in very tough days of ministry in a very rowdy church. And Paul, like me with Zach the day I dropped him off in Chicago, or Jesus with the disciples, is incredibly emotional as he says these things. He's incredibly emotional because he loves this young man and it's personal. And I, I just want to say, for those of you who have dabbled with Paul's writings, the tendency is to think this is an emotionless guy who simply lays out truth and is willing to die for it. And that is wrong. And this morning I want to show you just how personal and emotional this is for him. Chapter uh, 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 1, we read it last week. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Let me be clear this morning, and most of you are aware of this, Timothy, uh, Paul was not actually Timothy's dad. You'll find out later in this passage that he didn't even actually lead him to Christ. He was, uh, he was led to Christ by his mother or by his grandmother, and Paul gives them credit later in this, and you'll see it. But this was the man who had discipled him. Paul was the man who had, who had, who had prophetically laid hands on his to ordain him. Ordination is, a, uh, is something that was started in the book of Acts, when we gather, when the church, the local church sees God's calling on a young man's life, his full-time vocational calling to send them out to serve the Lord full-time. Carpenter's Way in our 20-some years of ministry has never had one, and we're going to have our first this year. We're working out a weekend where Josh Ferguson and Allie Ferguson will come. Josh grew up at Carpenter's Way, was discipled in our ministry, went off to Moody Bible Institute, is now studying at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is one of our missionaries that we support with Campus Crusade for Christ. And in September or October, we're going to lay hands on him in the same way that Paul lays hands on Timothy and say, we know God has called you to this and we are going to ordain him. We're going to pray for him and we're going to send he and his wife out. I know that some of you think, well, haven't we already done that? The answer is yes, but we're going to make it official. 
It's what we do as churches. Please understand that the calling of the church is not to reach the lost. I mean the gathering. What we do here on Sundays, what we do here in our Bible studies, that we, we reach the lost out there. We, we've got it wrong. We keep inviting them to come in here. When the truth is, and, and, and they're welcome, and you're welcome if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, but please understand, you're actually watching God's children gather together to be reminded that their dad is still on the throne. We're being reminded what God wants us to do and what he's left us with, and he left us with each other. And yes, the Holy Spirit, but he's left us with each other, and that has created a crack in, in the teaching of the value of the church. The value of the church is not for us to in here gather around and badmouth what's going on out in the world. It's not to talk how bad, bad things are, how much worse they're going to be. The reason, reason we gather is to remind each other how good it is and how much better it's going to be. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what awaits those who earnestly seek God. And that is the message that we should have for each other. It's okay, it's almost over. Soon. You want a new way to end your cards and letters to each other or phone calls beyond I love you? It's soon. Soon this will be over, reminding each other that our dad is still in control. That's why we gather. That's the love relationship. And Paul loves this kid. He calls him his dear son. Why? Because he poured his life into him. He discipled him. He ordained him. And then he sent him into harm's way. That is what we do, friends. We send each other out in harm's way to do the work of the king, trusting that the king's got this. We don't keep each other from harm. We encourage each other to be faithful in the midst of it. We don't tell each other how to get out of trouble. We teach each other how to be faithful in trouble. We've got it exactly wrong. We actually have gotten into a time in the church, and I guess it's always been here, that Paul talked about at the end of 1 Timothy, where he, uh, where he said that, that false teachers would rise up and say that godliness is a way to have a good life. Paul sent this young man that he obviously dearly loves into harm's way because that was the task of the king for this young man. Verse 3, he goes on, it gets more personal. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God, I serve, uh, uh, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Don't let the, uh, the ancient words and the modern translations confuse you. He's saying, I miss you, dude. My gosh, I think about you all the time, and all I can do is pray for you. And so I'm talking to God for you all the time. And man, as I talk to God, I remember how hard it was for us to separate. I remember how scared you were. I remember the tears that you cried. And I am going to be so happy when I see you again. It brings me so much joy to think about us fellowshipping again. I want to remind you that although Paul's emotions appear raw as he begins this letter, this isn't a, some guy who's sitting in a hotel or an inn somewhere in Bethlehem waiting you know, to just, just get enough money to travel while Paul is writing this, history tells us that he's actually chained to a floor of a tiny underground prison cell. He's chained to the floor. This isn't mere nostalgia for good old days. This affection is real, and in a very real, real way, it's sustaining Paul, as I believe he's fully aware that he's about to be killed. When Paul finishes this letter, and Titus, I don't know which is first, 
History tells us that when a very, within a very few short days, they cut his head off. Paul knew. But he wanted to encourage his young disciple by saying, I miss you. I love you. I remember the day we ordained you. I remember your calling. And he has some, weird, uh, some words for him. I want to be clear on something, though, before we do. It's really, really important um, that you understand everything we know about Paul. You know, we have a tendency to take Paul's theology or doctrinal statements from verse here and a verse there, but I want you to know that the New Testament lays out a very three-dimensional picture of Paul. Paul actually struggles with being lonely, with being discouraged, with being down, with being afraid, and even being needy. To his letter to the Christians in Philippi, he actually said it would be better for him to die personally. Then he could go be with God. But his ministry and the tasks that God has given him will require him to live on. Maybe you remember this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And any message and my preaching were very plain. Paul, we believe, wrote four letters to the church's, uh, church in Corinth. He visited them probably seven or eight times. They were always very difficult visits. Actually, he says in his second letter that we have in the New Testament, he says, I, I'm tired. I didn't come to you, and I stopped answering you because I get tired of beating on you, and you get tired of hearing it. Paul was afraid. Paul was timid. Paul was humid. He was struggling. And you want to hear what his raw emotions felt like? Look at 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. This is the end of this uh, second letter. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. You know why he wrote that? Because he knows he's about to die and he wants to see him. It's not complicated. That's not theological. It's human. Come on, dude. Get here as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. The Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to uh, Dalmatia. That's where the 101 Dalmatians was filmed. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychus to Ephesus, and when you come, be sure to bring the coat I left in Carpus at Troas. And, uh, you know why he wanted his coat? Somebody tell me why he wanted his coat. Because he's cold. He's damp. But you don't want to say that from the pulpit because sometimes you get the P replaced with another letter and you get in trouble. He's cold. And he's underground. And he wants to be warmed. I mean, these are real things. And, and we skip over them when you're not going verse by verse but because they're not important theologically and we're so busy to run to the theology, we forget to stop or slow down and look at the people that are writing to us. These are the faithful men and women of God who are scared and cold and tired and lonely. Curry, bring my coat, come on, and bring these people with you. Verse 14, or uh, thir uh, 12 still. Uh, I sent Tychus to Ephesus, uh, uh, Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring my coat I left in Carpus and Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against him. Wow. 
I didn't know Paul had feelings. I thought Paul ran to the lion's den. No, he didn't. He ran to obey the Lord. It was just unfortunate that it would have put him before courts and kings and rulers and in small caves in the ground. That was his task. And he's struggling with it as a man. This life in Christ has always been hard, but for different reasons and different contexts. We have two common things in our lives that Paul had among many commonalities, but there are two specifically. One is who our daddy is as the children of God, and the second, who the enemy of our daddy is. And he will work within your context and your family and your mission and your, and your life and your church and your country to do everything he can to take your eyes off the ball, to take your eyes off the king. I want to remind you that when it comes to battling with sin, the answer is not to look at yourself, which is often the answer of the church. Stop doing it. Get control of yourself. Actually, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, cast off the sin that easily tangles us up. We do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus Christ is the answer to your sin problem. Jesus Christ is the answer to your flesh problem. Jesus Christ is the answer to your discouragement. Jesus Christ is the answer. And and the reason we gather is to remind each other that God has still forgiven us. He's still shown us grace. He's still on the throne. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's not complicated. It's just not done very often. We're so busy wondering about, about the, 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 the music or, or, or the money or name it, whatever it is, all these other things that we forget. It's about Jesus at the beginning, before you're saved. It's about Jesus while you're saved. It's about Jesus after you're saved. And it will be about Jesus for the next billion years. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not about Baptist. It's not about Catholic. It's not about morality. It's about a God who redeems immoral people. And here's a dude who's at the end of his life that we revere, that wrote most of the New Testament, that we learn so much of the mysteries of grace through. And here he is at the end of his life going, I miss you. I miss you, Tim. I miss you. And I remember, and he's he's waxing philosophical and nostalgic, and he's tied into a prison cell, and he's remembering these great days. Why? Because that's what you do a few moments before you die. And if you doubt that, look at Jesus' conversation with the disciples. I'm leaving. And it's not, I'm leaving now and where I go, you cannot go. That's not how it was said. I gotta go. And if you wanna know what Jesus' feelings were about going, you need to read it again. Because he asked his dad to remove that cup from him. He was worried about these guys. That's why he washes their feet, not to give us another ordinance in the church. He washed their feet as an example of sin so that we would wash each other's feet. You are clean and pure and holy if you have confessed your sin. He has been faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John says. You are clean, but not your feet. This week you lusted. This week you lied. This week you felt jealous. This week you hated on your spouse. This week you, you, you got angry at Washington. This week you felt selfish. This week you did things for totally selfish reasons. I want to tell you two things. Number one, you still stand before God pure and holy. Number two, your feet are dirty. That's why you come in here so others can say, it's still good, let me wash your feet. Here's how you avoid that pitfall. This is how we encourage each other. It's a relationship. We need each other. Not just for evangelism, but for survival. We need each other because we need each other. We have turned this just into a mission. It's not. It's also a home. 
This is where we come together to encourage and love on. And this is supposed to be the place where we can share our struggles with sin. And when we stop struggling with sin and purely give in, it's supposed to be the place where we know people will tell us to knock it off. It's supposed to be that place. And I'm supposed to be so intimately acquainted with John Rowan and he with me that when John Rowan looks at me and says, you're not treating your wife the way a godly man treats his wife, I shouldn't be able just to flip him the bird and drive off. It should grieve my heart because I should be concerned about our relationship as much as I'm concerned about my relationship with my wife. But I want you to know that the enemy of the Lord has turned this in to something other than intimacy and family. It's personal, not business. It's family, not an organization. It's truth, not religion. It's God through his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowering us that transforms us. And in the midst of all that awesomeness, there's fear and heartbreak and sickness, discouragement and loneliness. And if we develop the kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy has, we're sustained. If we don't, you're a lone ranger. Will you make it to heaven? Sure. You'll just get there without any joy. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul goes on. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. He's, he's waxing memories. I remember. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you, son. Do you hear it? This is why I remind you to fan the flames of the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. I, I understand that every verse in the Bible, and we'll get into this in chapter 3, has inspired the very breath of God, and, and, and God gives them to us, and they're all equally important. But man, there are some verses that just make the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and this is, these are a couple of them. Very rarely in scriptures does Paul actually endorse someone's faith. It's very rare. And yet he endorses this man's faith. That's how much he knows him. I know that the faith of your mother and your grandmother lives in you powerfully. You walk with him. I know that. And that's why I remind you, verse 6. Fan the flames of the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. This is like a line from Braveheart. Because if this is my son, Zach, let's, let me tell you something. Without the Holy Spirit, if I know that I'm about to be, have my head removed and that Zach is ministering in a town that is likely to do the same to him, I want you to know that unless I am under the control of the Holy Spirit and I'm thinking from God's perspective, I'm telling my son to get his butt out of that place and take a job in a restaurant live for half of what he's on, and just live safe. I'm telling him to find insulin. That's not what Paul's saying to, to Timothy here. Paul's saying, double down. Join me in my death. This is the craziest life that we live. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a call to live. It's a call to die. There's nothing else like it. Nothing. 
This is a call to die. Paul has just loved on this dude. He's passionate. You can't argue that he loves this kid as his son. And what does he tell him to do? Fan the flames, bud. Fan the flames. It's going to make them crazy. This guy is in chains, about to be beheaded, and he's emotional. He's crying out to his buddy, his disciple, his son in the faith, and he tells him to basically go at it harder, jump in. And why would he do this? Verse 7. I love this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. It's not a word we use in English very often, but it's a great word. Don't be timid. Is it okay for me to tell you about Jesus? Be bold, dude. Stand firm. God has not given us a spirit of of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The the spirit living within within Timothy was not a a spirit of intimidation or fear, but of love, power, and self-discipline. I want to show you something that we're going to talk about in two weeks more. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Look at this with me. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. This is what's missing from our bunny Easter's. That the resurrection isn't just validation that Jesus was who he claimed to be. That's what we say all the time, and it is true for that, but that's not really the amazing thing that happened. Jesus, before and after his resurrection, would tell the disciples, I gotta go. I gotta go, because when I go, somebody even greater is gonna come. And you know who that somebody is? The Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead with the power of the resurrection. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The power of the resurrection, the power that resurrected Christ lives in every one of us who are the children of God right now. That is our source of hope. That is our source of strength. That is where we find courage. And our job with each other is not to give each other courage. You can't exchange that like a a piece of chocolate. Our job is to remind each other that the Spirit of God lives in us and the power is in fact there. We serve, we stay faithful because of our position, not to receive our position. Too much of the church today is trying to scare you into being what God wants you to be. I got news for you, it won't work. It won't work. There will always be something every day that interrupts your your focus. The only thing that can transform, the only thing that can make you different, the only thing that can make you like Paul and Timothy is the Holy Spirit, and you have that in common with them. How can a guy in a six-by-four cell, think about that, underground, a hole about the size of a, a, what is it, a sanitation steel thing, manhole cover, That's what he's looking up. That's what they fed him through. They've got bars across it. He's in this hole. He's underground. He's dirty. He's wet. When it rains, it rains on him. There's nobody caring about him anymore. He's alone. Most of his followers have abandoned him. But he says, Timothy, join me. Keep going. Why? Because the spirit of God that lives within us is not the spirit of fear or timidity, but of courage and power and love and a sound mind, self-discipline. Why do we need self-discipline? Because our flesh wants to go the opposite way. Ask Jesus. Jesus Christ, who at his death or arrest says, I don't want to do this, Dad. Do you know there's like five times in the gospel Jesus tells the disciples, I didn't come to do my own will. Why does he say that? Because he had a will that was different than the Father's. As a man, there were things he wanted to do. He might have wanted to get married and have kids. He might have wanted to live out his life in Nazareth. 
He might have just wanted to be a normal Jewish kid, but that's not what he was called to do. And he didn't want to die. He didn't want to die. How can you say that? Because he prayed, Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will. Yours be done. You see, this was never about your will. When you got saved, part of it was declaring Christ as Lord of your life. I know you didn't understand that, but now you're being told it. And it's his to do what he wants with. He can take us to bankruptcy. He can take us to terminal, terminal cancer. He can take us into wealth. He can take us wherever he wants. But they're all his path, my friends. They're all his path. And whether it's great wealth or horrible health, he's the God of both. They both belong to him. And we, having within us, have the Spirit of God that resurrected Christ. The same power lives within us. And He's not a spirit of fear or timidity, but of discipline and love and power. That is what you take out with you. And that is the message that's missing in our flocks. That's what we don't tell each other. I don't want to sound crazy. When somebody comes to you, a brother or sister, and they're discouraged, you remind them. You remind them of this, that the Spirit of God who resurrected Jesus Christ lives within you. And even if that thing you fear happens, he's still there. Well, I don't like his plan. Join the club. It was never about liking his plan. It was about understanding in your head that his plan is better than anything we could imagine. And this is almost over, friends. I'm looking at you. You're, none of you are in that good of health. I got to tell you what, you're not taking good health care of yourselves. <laughs> Some of you, do you remember the movie Fletch? I don't encourage it. I watched it when I was in high school. But there's one scene I'll never forget. Fletch is uh, Chevy Chase, and again, I don't encourage the movie. I, I, from what I remember, most of it's not worth watching, but there's some funny, funny scenes. But this guy is strung out at a beach in California under a bridge. He's 18 years old, and he's, he's a newspaper article, uh, writer, and he's trying to interview this kid, and the kid can hardly talk, and he goes, Thanks for the information, Chris. And by the way, Chris, you're not taking very good care of yourself. You know, it's such a dumb line because the kid is about to die on the streets. I got to tell you something. You're not going to live 100 more years. Why? Because you're not taking very good care of yourself. But I got news for you. You will live another billion years. Which one are you going to live for? I mean, seriously, which one are you going to live for? Is she worth it? Is he worth it? Is it worth it? I mean, we have the Spirit of God living within us. Easter, Easter's great because through that we know about salvation and all, but I got to tell you something, that's Good Friday. The real awesome message of the cross isn't the cross, it's the empty tomb. Because that should remind you that you don't have to live the way you think you need to live to be happy. You can live for him and he will give you peace and joy and hope because that spirit who has called those things lives within you. He's not done. 2 Timothy 1.8 Never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, Tim. Wow. Um, okay, I'm going to pick on the church. I don't get this experience at Carpenter's Way, so I'm not picking on you. This has been a long time since this has happened. But you all know that it is not uncommon for a person, an average Christian, to call a pastor when their cousin is dying. Pastor, my cousin is dying, and they don't know Jesus. Would you go visit them? 
Presenting the gospel to somebody is not a profession. It's part of being the child of God. You tell them. Well, I, I don't know what to tell them. Tell them what's true in your life. It's true. If you're not living for the Lord, you've got nothing to talk about. And we'll send people. But if your life is surrendered to the Lord, just tell them the truth. There's no magic thing. This isn't a manipulation game. This is a truth game. I know that your time on earth is about to come to an end. Have you made preparations for that journey? What does that mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, up here uh, somewhere, usually, I have these tracks. These little things. Somebody on the internet's going, the pastor disappeared. It's called, would you like to know God personally? Pick one of these up and read it to them. It's just scripture. You, you don't have to be eloquent and a trained EE person to present the gospel. You do have to be real. You do have to be sincerely committed to the Lord. You do have to believe that God is the answer to people's eternity problem. You do have to believe those things. If you don't, don't talk about it. That's the problem with the church. The church says that we believe Jesus Christ is gracious and forgives immoral people, but we act like there are certain more immoral behaviors that God isn't willing to forgive because we're mad at them. How dare you love that person? It may very well be a sin, but I got news for you. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Whether you're fat because you eat too much and you're a glutton, or you're an alcoholic, or you're a homosexual, or you're a Baptist preacher who likes himself too much, God came to save sinners. And that's all we tell people. That's our message. But to tell that message, you've got to believe that you needed it, that he solved your problem, and that the resurrected Christ, the power that resurrected him, lives in you and changes you. You still have to come Easter Sunday, even though I just preached Easter Sunday's message. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact is, we're supposed to be freakish. The world is supposed to look at us and either smell life or smell death because they don't want anything to do with God and run from us. They are supposed to hate us. That's why Paul says to Timothy, light this thing on fire, dude. Go more, commit more. Never be ashamed on top of it to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me. Why would he say that? Because people were laughing and mocking even inside the church at Paul because he, what, we knew he was a bad guy. He arrested my cousin. He killed my aunt. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. <laughs> that's not a very loving fatherly thing until you realize that's the same thing Jesus asked of you. I had somebody recently say, you know, if God is such a loving father, why would he want me to suffer? To which I responded, if God is such a loving father, why would he kill his son for you? You see, God's character is consistent. He gave his son for you. What makes you think he won't give your life for somebody else? Well, I don't like that message. Then walk away, my friend. Walk away. You don't have to give your life. You don't have to do any of this. Nobody's making you. You can be just like the disciples who were frustrated that people were leaving at the message. But then Jesus, I want to remind you, looked at them and said, so are you guys going to follow them? Well, no. Why not? Well, where else will we find eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and said, well done. The Holy Spirit taught you that. And in Mark's translation of the Bible, which is yet to be written, he said, then shut up and follow me. I don't want to follow you. Then walk away. I don't want to walk away. We're stuck. 
But as you get to know God, the fear fades away as you get to know how loving He is, that His plan is better, that we're not going to live here forever, that He has a plan that will bring us hope and joy and rest in the future, but now we work. And that's a good plan because we get to take people with us. There is joy in that. There's peace in that. There's hope in that. And there's hope in the power of the resurrection that lives within us. Verse 9, for God saved us to, to, and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plan to us, uh, plain to us by a, uh, appearing of, of Jesus, Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of, uh, to life and immortality through the good news. By the way, that's the Greek phrase for gospel. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in, pr in prison. He just blamed God. That's why I'm here, because I'm called to. But I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. You see, Paul was willing to endure difficulty because he knew, would you put 2 Timothy 1.12 up there, Kevin, and just leave it up there, because I want them to look at this. Because Paul knew the one in whom he trusted. He knew him. This is why you've got to walk with God. It's not so you get saved. It's not so you keep your marriage. Those are good, uh, salvation is yours. Saving your marriage is a good thing. That's why you don't commit adultery. But there's another reason. It's so you can get to know God. Because this life is difficult and painful and scary. And as you know the one in whom you trust, you are confident that he's able to guard what he, you have entrusted to him, your life, until the day of his return. I think that we trust God as far as we understand Him. And I'm here to tell you that trusting God that you know will help you understand you don't know Him very well, but you do know He's good. Nobody spoke of this more than C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who wrote into his novels as one of the young ladies in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia is looking as Aslan walks up the beach and he's walking away and she's weeping. Mr. Tunzel looks at her and says, sweetheart, why are you crying? Because Aslan's leaving. Where is he going? And her mentor looks at her and says, oh, honey, you misunderstood. Aslan is a good lion, but he's not safe. Did somebody tell you that God was safe for you? He's safe for your eternity, that is true. He's not safe for your YOLO dreams. He's just not. And anybody who tells you that hasn't read this book. Because person after person, man after man, woman after woman has to lose everything before they gain everything. I'm sorry. It's just how it is. But he's good. You see, my fear for me is that I'm not sure that I know him as well as I need to to trust him. I mean, I, I guess the question that I want to ask you this morning is, how well do you really know him so that you can trust him? Or what is it that you're trusting? What is it you are putting your hope 
what's the basket you put, put this hope thing, this, this thing that keeps you happy in? Is it, is it selfishness? Is it food? Is it your occupation? Is it money? What is it? We all have it. And it, it's not all bad stuff. I would argue that there's a lot of us in the Bible Belt that put it in moral Christianity. But I got news for you. Moral Christians who have never bowed the knee to Jesus still go to hell. They just go to hell clean. Being a moral Mormon without accepting Jesus Christ just makes you a good-looking person in hell. Salvation is a result of grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not through the church. It's not through a pastor. It's not through your marriage. It's not through morality. It's through Jesus. Jesus offers you two things. Mercy first. I'm not going to whack you like you deserve because I whacked Jesus for you. And then grace. I'm going to give you stuff you can't even believe, you can't even fathom one day. That's mercy and grace. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't try to earn it. And Satan will get you to think you can. Something happens when a person meets with me that realizes they have an alcohol problem. And this is almost 100%. I'm not going to say it's 100, it's like 99.99%. When an average middle-class Christian comes in my office, realizes they have an alcohol problem and their wife is beating them over the head over it, they will often come in my office and say, I have a problem. Pastor, I think I'm an alcoholic. And we talk and we pray and we open the scriptures and we talk about nothing owning you but Jesus. And then I say, but you have an issue now. You need some help getting over this. And so I will often send them, actually every time I try to send them to AA. Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a great program to help you with fleshly desires. And almost 100% of the time, about four weeks later, they revisit my office and everyone says, I don't really need that. I'm looking for something else. I think I got a handle on it. I haven't even drank anything but a beer in the last 24 hours, so I'm doing pretty good. And pastor, I'm not like them. Ooh. And now I say, the only difference between them and you is that you may have teeth that aren't rotten yet, but they're actually in better shape than you because you actually still think you're something. I believe that most Christians in the Bible Belt are that way with sin. You look at Hollywood, you look at Washington, D.C., you look at New York, and you go, what a bunch of losers. At least I'm not a Yankee. And I got good news and bad news for you. You may not be a Yankee, but you're still selfish. You're still self-medicating. What are you using? Do you trust Jesus enough to stop self-medicating? Do you trust him enough to deal with anxiety the rest of your life? I just can't. I can't. I don't know what I'll do if it doesn't stop. Try trusting. It's okay. I, I get it. What if, what if the depression never fully goes away? God knows I can't live like this. What if you never make the first million? What if you have to go in for cancer tests every six months the rest of your life? But that's not what I prayed for. Why would a dad want his kid? Why would God send his son to die? For you. When you still rebel. Why would Paul send his son in the faith to Ephesus where he actually has to tell him to drink a little bit to relax. 
why would we live a life of faithfulness when we know it'll be nothing but trouble in this culture? Because we trust in the one that we've come to know. And we know that whatever amount of this we trust to him, he is able to guard it and take care of it until the day of his return. We trust that much. And there's only one way for us to do that. And that is to look in each other's face on a regular basis and say, it's going to be okay. But pastor, I've got cancer throughout my brain. How can it be okay? Because you never were told to live for now. The difference between you and me is we know what's going to kill you, and I get to pretend I'm going to live here another 40 years. Do you know what, what's the weird? There are some things that make me laugh that shouldn't. And one of those, who is the, who, who's the guy who tells you to eat meat and you'll lose weight? Atkinson. Atkins? Atkinson. The candy guy. Atkins. Atkins. Does anybody know how he died? As a result of slipping and falling and cracking his head when he was working out. He did. He did not die. He avoided the death by being healthy. I say eat more chicken. Deep fry it, wrap it in bacon, and thank God for it. Actually, that's probably not the best advice I've ever given. But I tell you to go out there and live hope. Live hope. Not because you are self-psychology, whatever, but because you have come to know God and have learned that you can trust Him with your life, to guard it until his return or he comes and gets you. That, my friends, is a miracle. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to know you as you are so we can trust you as you are. I pray that we would learn to trust you with our lives. Father, I know that there are folks in this church this week that got diagnoses that are scary, and you know who they are. I don't need to mention them. But I pray for peace this week. I pray for comfort this morning from on high. And I pray that we as a church wouldn't just say, okay, I'm sorry it happened, hug them and move on, but we will remind them that God is still good. Father, we have a, a family member who's moved away recently but has had extreme can uh, surgery this week for cancer throughout her body. And Lord, we're all scared. We want her to live, but Father... It looks like it's going to be okay, but we don't know what your plan is, so we need to learn to trust you. There are some in this flock, Father, that got job raises this week. And boy, they are high-fiving, and that's great. It's a wonderful celebrate. We celebrate with them. But may they not put their hope in the money. Father, I pray that we, as a local church, would be a force for truth by the power of the resurrected Christ that lives within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Word of God speaks.